a joy and an honor for me to be with you all this morning. I can't tell you enough how I appreciate the, the hospitality and the graciousness of your dean and your sub-dean, which is the best title ever for anybody, a sub-dean. <laughs> I think they just made that up. I don't think it really, it's not, it's not a thing, it's not a thing. It's a great, and um, please pray with me for a moment. Lord, somehow through my imperfect words and through our imperfect hearing, let the light of your gospel shine into our hearts and set our hearts on fire. Amen. It's good to have the amen corner over here for me, too. <laughs> Feel free to let loose with an amen occasionally. Can't wait to hear the celebration choir. Today is the feast of the baptism of Christ, and it's appropriate that on this feast we, we actually baptize someone, bringing them into the fellowship of the church, and we're going to be doing that with Declan. And I want us to be clear about what baptism is, because we want to be able to tell him how much God loves him just the way he is right now. Mama, even if he never gets his act together, God's still going to love him, Okay. And, and we have a problem in this culture and even in the church where we think that somehow God will love me if, you fill in the blank, whatever that is, if I do this, God will love me. And as, as a child of, of Declan's age and, and growing up in the church, I, I, I need to tell you, I grew up um, Roman Catholic on Sunday morning and hard shell Baptist on Wednesday night. I was like to choke. I got the best of both worlds. I got the holy bread on Sunday. I got the fried chicken on Wednesday night. I, I was a happy camper. But you can imagine with that background, I had some difficulty believing that God loved me as I was, not as I might be or should be. God loved me right where I was, right there, even if I never got my act together. But as I was growing up and, and being involved in the church and then uh, later getting involved in, in some uh, fellowship groups in college, there was always that kind of caveat that God loved me when I did good things for God. So being the fool I was, and maybe still am to a certain extent, I would say, just how often do I have to be good? I mean, if it's a negotiation, right? Uh, 51% of the time, 60% of the time, just how often did I need to be good for God to love me? And it wasn't, I'm actually embarrassed to say this, it, it wasn't until after I was ordained <laughs> that finally sunk in. Scott, God loves you, you fool. And he loves you right where you are, just the way you are, even if you never get your act together. But that's not what we so often hear. That unfortunately has not always been the church's message. Get your act together. Stop doing bad things. Out there being licentious and all that kind of stuff. And then come into the church and we'll turn you into a Pharisee. Because <laughs> that's our job. 
right? That's what we do, unfortunately, the people. We take away this great, amazing grace of God that loves each and every one of us beyond anything we could ever ask for or imagine. This God's love comes to us bought with an extremely high price of his son on the cross. And then we set a set of rules down. You got to follow these rules. If you don't follow these rules. And I remember in the Baptist church on Wednesday night when I grew up, the, the preacher would get up there and he would get a real stem winder going on. And he said, well, I'm a sinner. I wanted more information. <laughs> Just That's a generality. We're all sinners. Give me some good stuff, you know? But he realized, he realized if he actually did chapter and verse, what would happen? The board of deacons would kick him out of the church. We have a problem in the church across denominations with the idea that God only loves us when we're good. And we can, we can tell one another that's not true, we can tell one another that's not true until we're blue in the face. And somehow it doesn't always sink in. So telling someone that God loves them unconditionally just the way they are is not enough. We as a church have to incarnate that kind of radical love. My friend Paul Zoll calls the one-way love of God. Because, if, if again, we counted on our returning God's love, probably not going to happen all the time. But God has this one-way love for you and for me and for all of creation. And we will not stop until all the creation is reconciled in his son, Jesus Christ. So telling people is this not enough. And more and more so, given our culture today, a number of years ago, not too long ago, researchers at the University of Michigan Michigan, I understand they won a football game recently. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about Florida State. I know it's still raw. I'd only run out of town. But a few years ago, researchers at the University of Michigan found that when misinformed people were presented with correct information, they rarely changed their minds. In fact, they found they often became more strongly entrenched in their misinformation. It could actually make their misinformation stronger. The, re the lead researcher, Brendan Nyan, said this, quote, the general idea is that it's absolutely threatening to admit you're wrong. It's absolutely threatening to admit, admit you're wrong. We need to admit we're wrong. We need to have enough humility and enough love and enough trust in God's grace and mercy in our lives that it's okay to be wrong. I mean, I sin seven times before breakfast every morning. I'm not going to tell you what they are <laughs> because you'd fire me, but I do. And guess what? So do you. <laughs> and God loves us in spite of all that. And God will not stop loving us no matter how sinful we are. That's the gospel. But we take, the go we take that radical gospel 
and we turn it into something, we pasteurize it, we homogenize it, we beat it down, and then we turn it into a set of rules to follow. That you're only acceptable to God when you do these things. Nothing could be further than the gospel truth. And yet many, many people don't believe that's the gospel when you ask them. A number of years ago, I was, I was uh, interviewing potential uh, seminarians that would come into the Diocese of Georgia, and I had uh, eight interviews over the course of a day at Virginia Seminary, and they were spaced out about an hour apart, so I'd have a little break in between. And um, I, I asked them what the gospel was. Now, these are folks in seminary. Most people said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. I'm thinking to myself, that's not the gospel. That's actually the law. That's, Jesus said that quoting the law. The gospel is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's the good news we want Declan and everyone being baptized to understand. And that's why telling him how much God loves him is not going to be at all successful. We need to do more as a church. We need to get beyond the misinformation that someone has about themselves. Maybe the low opinion they have that, you know, God couldn't love someone like me. Oh, yes, God can. <laughs> and oh, yes, God does. He does love people just like you and just like me. Now, one of the recurring problems, I think, that, that, that creates this mess, theological mess that we're in, it's Santa Claus's fault. You know, you better watch out. You better not cry. <laughs> better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town, and if you've been a good little boy... You'll get a present. But if you've been bad, nothing. For a young child to hear that, it's not that great of a leap to say, you better, not, you better watch out, you better not cry, Jesus is coming to town. And he's going to get you. He's going to get you. If you don't clean up your act. That's not the gospel. But I would venture to say that that's the gospel for a lot of people. And that's where we need folk like you and me to begin to tell a different story, to tell the true gospel message that we find in the scriptures. Some of you uh, have heard of the, of the pastor and author, Tony Campolo. He's been writing and, and preaching and teaching for decades now. And he tells a wonderful story about a time... Uh, he was at a, a, a coffee shop in the inner city of Philadelphia uh, about midnight one night, getting a cup of coffee, and he struck up a conversation uh, with a, a woman there at the counter. And, and he, he, I'm trying to be delicate here. He realized that uh, she worked for a living. And she was between appointments. But she also told him that her birthday was the next day. So Tony left there, went back to his church, got some people from his church. The next night, came there at midnight with balloons and a cake and party hats 
and those sound things that I don't even know what they're called. And they had this wonderful celebration. She was in tears. She said, nobody ever gave me a birthday party in my life. One man who was standing by Tony said, so who are you people anyway? And he said, We're, we are the church. And the guy said, no, no, you ain't. No, no. There ain't no church that would throw a birthday party for the likes of her. If there were, I'd join it. We need to be the church that does those things. Because that's the only way we can get the message out that God loves all people regardless. The number of times you've been born doesn't matter. God loves you just the way you are and right where you are, even if you never get your act together. That's how important the message is, and we cannot shrink back from it. Because the forces in our culture and even in our church want to turn the gospel into a set of rules and regulations. The gospel is not about rules, it's about relationship. The relationship with the one who died and rose again and promises us life eternal in his love. Amen.